Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the international affairs, foreign policy, and global development community, and world news aficionados of all stripes. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. On April 19th, the government of Chad announced that longtime President Idris Deby died from wounds sustained while visiting troops on the battlefield. Debbie had been the president of Chad for over 30 years. He was a fixture of regional and international politics and was a longtime ally of France and the United States who viewed him as central to their regional counterterrorism efforts. His sudden death in battle during a civil conflict was a huge shock. On the line with me to discuss the significance of the death of Chad President Idris Deby and what the future holds for Chad and the region is Reed Brody. He is counsel for Human Rights Watch, where he worked to secure justice for the victims of human rights abuses committed by Deby's predecessor, Hassan Habre. We kick off discussing what we know about the circumstances of Debbie's death before having a longer conversation about the regional and international implications of this sudden change of power in Chad. Uh, this is a very helpful conversation about an evolving situation, but I do think it is worth emphasizing, and I do in the episode, just how much of a fixture in regional politics Idris Deby was and how shocking an event his battlefield death is to many observers in the region. And before we start, I want to plug an excellent podcast called Worldly. You probably already listen. Is Myanmar headed for a civil war? What happened with Europe's vaccine rollout? What does the future hold for the U.S.-Saudi relationship? There is a lot of news coming at us from all over the world, and it can be hard to follow, let alone fully understand. Let Worldly be your guide. It's a podcast from Vox about the world's biggest issues. Every Thursday, senior correspondent Zach Beecham, senior foreign editor Jennifer Williams, and White House reporter Alex Ward give you the history and context you need to make sense of global stories. You can find Worldly in your favorite podcast app, and it's from Vox and the Vox Media Podcast Network. All right, now here is my conversation with Reed Brody of Human Rights Watch. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Well, there are a lot of things we don't know about Debbie's death. Officially, he left Jemena to go to the front to meet the rebels in battle, and he was killed in by a shell. I've heard many different stories, and you know, there are people who believe that 
It was a spore settling among his own people. We do know that it was at least a day or two between the time he was killed and the time his death was announced, during which time the now military junta was put in place. But it would appear that he was killed in battle against rebels, which might be surprising for a president to be out on the battlefront. But I think Idris Deby was first and foremost a soldier. He grew up in the military. He was the military chief for the former dictator, Hissan Habre, who he overthrew by force of arms. He considers himself to be a soldier. And who were these rebels that he was battling? Since independence, Chad has never handed power from one elected government to another. And the only way people take power in Chad or have taken power traditionally, have been to take up arms against the government. A foreign minister who's now actually advising the government once said that if you were young and you didn't take up arms, it was like you didn't like today if you didn't like rap music. That was what you did. And Debbie himself began as a rebel. And throughout his 30-year rule, there were many rebellions against his rule. Most of them in the past had come from across the border in the Sudan, where for a long time, Debbie had a rivalry with Omar el-Bashir, the president of Sudan. They made up several years ago, and and effectively Sudan closed its borders to rebels, who then uh, moved to Libya, essentially. And these rebels, to make a long story short, are the offshoot of the rebel movement that almost took Jemena in 2008. They are led by a man from the Goran tribe, which is also Hissan Habre's small tribe. The the Um, former president that Debbie overthrew, Hissan Habre. Exactly. But there seem to be mostly the rebels are made up of Chadians who are hanging out around in Libya during the chaos in Libya. Mm. And so there are a lot of different factions and sub factions that who spent many years in Libya fighting for, for the Mizratis in the, in the West, mm. fighting for Khalifa Haftar in the East, and, and building up an arsenal. One of the things that's interesting is that the, the rebels appear to have weapons that come from the strongman of the East of Libya, uh, Khalifa Haftar, mm. supplied by the United Arab Emirates. They also seem to have missiles that could only come probably from the Russian mercenary group operating mm-hmm. in Libya Wagner. So it's, it's very, it's kind of a, a real huh. mosaic of, of groups. That's fascinating that to a certain extent, the rebellion in Chad can find some of its roots in the civil war in Libya, where you know the UAE backed this guy, Khalifa Haftar, who kind of ruled Libya's east for a long time. And now they're kind of setting their sights on Jemena. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, one of the many ironies of this situation is that when Gaddafi was overthrown, Idris Deby warned the West. He warned his friends in France and the United States that overthrowing Gaddafi was going to lead the region into a spiral of chaos. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, a lot of what is going on today in the Sahel region, in Mali, in Burkina Faso, in Niger, are the result of kind of people who have the chaos of of Libya 
in which weapons started going or circulating, in which people started crossing borders. And of course, the person who has now been killed by that is, is the very man who, who warned of this chaos, uh, Idris Deby. So Debbie, he has just been a presence in the region for as long as I've been covering this. You know, he's been in power for 30 years. I started covering this region in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, where he was just presence. You thought he would be there forever. And now he's gone. Who is taking his place? What sort of systems have been set up in Chad for his succession? You mentioned there is now a military junta. What is that composed of? Well, you're not the only person who thought he would be there forever. I think that there was no grand plan for the after Debbie, for the après Debbie. And most Chadians, of course, the median age in Chad is something like 17. So most Chadians have only known Idris Debbie. And, you know, his rule, he ruled by co-opting. Let's remember also that Chad is... First of all, it, it's a country divided very clearly between northern Muslims, nomads, herders, and southern, more Christian animists, pastoralists. And that has always been a big division in Chad. But, but beyond that division, there are dozens of, or more than dozens, but there are dozens of major ethnic groups. Really, you see, I mean, under the previous government of Hissen Habre from 1982 to 1990, which was the most brutal of the Chadian governments, and, and I'm pleased to say that I worked with, as you know, with Hissen Habre's victims for many years, and Hissen Habre is now sitting in a jail in Dakar, convicted of crimes against humanity. But under Habre in the 1980s, it was the Gorans who ruled Chad. And then under Idris Deby for the last 30 years, it's been his Zahawa tribe. And you can see that. You can see that the oil wealth that has flown into Chad in the last 20 years from the discovery of oil in the South has by and large gone to the Zahawas. Now, within Idris Deby's, now Idris Deby ruled by co as Habre did actually, by, by co-opting groups, by, by corruption, by persuasion, by fear. But there were always stirring of opposition, including within the Sahawas. Now, Idris Deby was killed. Nobody really had a plan. He had just won re-election for a sixth or seventh term in an election that was not free and fair. In fact, I think it was the day that the electoral results were announced that his death was announced, or the day after. Uh, what has happened is that the military is that power quickly, or, or behind the scenes, the powers that be uh, quickly co or not coalesce, but they quickly put up one of his sons, actually a half son, and many people think not actually his son, as the leader of the junta. Almost all the people in the junta are from the are from the Sahawa tribe, which is a particularly uh, warrior. And in fact, most of the elite of the Chadian army is from the Sahawas. But there are many people who, both within and outside within the junta, who who, who apparently are not happy with that choice. But then, of course, you know, this was in complete violation of the Chadian constitution, which yeah. says that if the president dies, power goes to the head of the Senate. So instead of the power going to the head of the Senate, power went to the son, possibly, you know, 
real son, possibly not actual son, but who is now in charge. And what has been striking to me as an outside observer here is the extent to which both France and also to a certain extent, the United States has quickly embraced the military junta as an ally in Chad and in the region. And I think the backstory here, which is important to say, is that Chad and Debbie in particular had always been seen as a very key counterterrorism ally of France, of the United States. And at least for now, it seems that that has not been shaken. Is that fair to say? I think it's absolutely true. I mean, just as the United States and France supported the brutal reign of Hissan Habre in the 1980s as a rampart against Muammar Gaddafi, since 1990, they have supported almost unconditionally Idris Deby as the rampart against Islamic terrorism, against chaos. I mean, if you look at the map of Chad, I mean, you see that you know, all around Chad, the countries are falling apart. I mean, you have Libya to the north that we talked about. To the east, you have Sudan, where you had the Darfur, many years, the Darfur Rebellion, Sudan actually split into. To the south, you have the Central African Republic, which is basically a failed state. To the west, you have Niger and the, and the northwest cor- northeast corner of Nigeria, which where you have Boko Haram. And Chad was always, and it was, I mean, for 30, he was there for 30 years, was, was not just an island of stability, but was like, you know, as, as they used to say in Hon- for Honduras and Central America, it was the aircraft carrier of the region. And Chadian troops are engaged bravely, apparently, in, you know, throughout the region, in Mali, where a where the country was basically split in two, first by separatists from the north and then by actually by groups tied to the Islamic State. Debbie sent troops into Mali side by side with France. He sent troops into Niger and Nigeria. And that's been the deal. Mm -hmm. The deal is, you know, we support you and you are our, our linchpin in the fight in the region. And it just, just to make clear, you know, Chad is a key troop contributing member of what is known as the G5 Sahel, which is this kind of coalition of regional groups backed by France that are, you know, boots on the ground in the fight against violent extremism in the region. And Chadian troops are, are an important contributor to that cause. That's right. And, you know, we should not underestimate. I mean, it's hard because Africa is is always considered such a backwater, but it's hard to grasp just how serious the terrorism threat is. I mean, vast regions of the Sahel, which is this basically what stands between the region that is between the Sahara in the north and the and, you know, the, the more fertile lands in the south, but a region that stretches all the way from the Atlantic Ocean to practically to the Gulf is really become, partly because of the chaos in Libya, but not only, has become a real breeding ground for terrorists. In many places, the state simply does, I mean, in, in the north of Burkina Faso, and in, in where you see a lot of attacks now in the, in the south of Niger, where the state really doesn't exist, doesn't perform services. And in each of these countries, you also have very brutal repression when the state comes in. And Chad has done its job, done its duty on this. And in return, France and the U.S. have have and and the international community in general have just looked away to what is going on inside Chad and to what the Chadian people want. 
And so what do you see as potential implications of the fact that Debbie, this kind of stalwart ally of France and the United States in their sort of effort to combat violent extremism in the region, you know, the lens that they viewed support through to Chad, to Debbie was, you know, through counterterrorism. Now that Debbie is gone, like, how do you see this impacting how some major key international players interact with, with the region? Well, it's very hard to tell. I mean, for the moment, it's business as usual. You know, the French president, Macron, was, was came famously to Debbie's funeral and basically said, you know, we're going to defend the sovereignty and the integrity of mm-hmm. Chad. And and, 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 and and Macron sat right next to Debbie's son, the, the leader yeah. of the military junta, in a not so subtle show of support. I mean, this was a, a 100 percent show of support. And, you know, I think that you know, France lost an opportunity to try to, you know, move towards some democratic change. I mean, there's there's no contradiction between democracy and having a strong defense fight against terrorism. Idris Debbie is not, and his son are not, I mean, his son actually has no particular legitimacy. His son is, is you know, is 37 years old. He was he's probably in there because he controlled the, the most well-armed intelligence as military intelligence service. But, you know, there's there's nothing that says that a democratic government could not be doing the same thing. And I think France has slipped up here by showing that its solidarity is not with the people of Chad, and the, but it, it's with, you know, a, a particular vision of this relationship, a particularly, mil- I mean, the military has always dominated France. France has no real economic interests in Chad. It's not, I mean, it does have oil, but it's not a particularly rich country, but its interest in Chad is a geostrategic one. So over the coming few weeks and months, what will you be looking towards to suggest to you how this situation may unfold? Like, are there any key inflection points coming out, any key decisions that may be made that will sort of inform how you see this shaking out over the next few weeks and months? It depends, I think, how the government, the junta, civil society interact. I mean, there are, the government has moved to kind of co-opt as many people as possible. They've named the government of, of 40 ministers with people. It's mostly dominated by people who are around Debbie, but they brought in some opposition figures. But of course, opposition in Chad is a funny thing. There's not a lot of percentage in being in the opposition in a one-party state. And so you've got to always make your deals. On the other hand, civil society has totally rejected this. There was a demonstration last week that was severely put down. Six people or five or six people were killed. The civil society is calling for more demonstrations. I would say the most vigorous of the opposition candidates or the opposition party, Sukse Mazra, of a party called the Transformators, has just said, look, this is just a military government is putting on some civilian window dressing. And I think that's the way most of my friends in the human rights community look at it. Some people are calling, there's been a tradition in Chad and other countries in the region to have what's called national dialogues where everybody sits down and they come to, which, you know, could work if it's actually a real dialogue, if everybody sits down. I mean, the rebels have said they're willing to participate in that. But, you know, we'll have to see how inclusive the government said, how it reacts to demonstrations, whether it tolerates them, whether it puts them down brutally as it, as it did last week. Well, Reed, thank you so much for your time. This was very helpful. 
You're quite welcome, Mark. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Reed Brody. I always love chatting with Reed. You can find him on Twitter and I'll post a link to his page at Human Rights Watch. And I'll certainly be following events in the region as the shockwaves from this sudden battlefield death of Idris Deby uh, begin to reverberate uh, across the region and across the world. As always, feel free to get in touch with me. You can hit me up on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg or send me an email using the contact button. Thank you. See you next time. Bye.